0: Yes. Ready?
1: Yes. Ah! Welcome to the British Fencing Be You Be Different Podcast. I'm Sophie DeVote and I'm here with
0: uh, Sean Morton. Nice to see you again.
1: Hi, hi, Sean. Yeah, nice to hear you. And um, we're here today discussing BUB Be Be Different and the name of our podcast in general.
0: Yeah, it probably should have my mind to ask this question earlier, but um, <laughs> why are we called BUB Be Be Different?
1: <laughs> so I'm very glad you asked that, Sean. Um, it's good that we're discussing this today. It's um, Part of the idea behind this podcast, as we've discussed in the the previous episode when we were talking about mental health, we've really tried to open up the world of British fencing and try and create an environment where we can talk about different subjects and talk about what's going on in our world and how it's relevant to other sports and different um, areas in the world. And really, Be You Be Different came along because of identifying we know that fencing is a unique sport it's not a mainstream sport i i mean would you agree i i don't think it's a sport that everyone immediately accesses
0: yeah i mean uh, uh- I, w- I could wish it was different, but that yeah, yeah, that's certainly the truth.
1: There you go. The word difference starts to come in already. So the identification of the people who like to get into fencing can sometimes be from outside of the mainstream or we're thinking about this alternative kind of way of accessing a sport. It might appeal to people who maybe don't identify as sporty. I know that in personal experience, that was me. I didn't really think of myself as a sporty person, but fencing really appealed to me. Um, there was the, the other side of bit this feeling of like when you put that mask on and you become a different person or you find a different part of yourself does that make sense I don't know if that does that sort of ring with you and ring true as well
0: yeah it does I mean I I think it's it's true of of almost all sports there's a degree of kind of role-playing involved in it whether you see yourself as the as the warrior king when you put your fencing mask on or or something else the I think how you, how you view yourself in the sport is a, is a big part of it.
1: Absolutely. And I think so for, for British fencing, wanting to bring people into the sport and to tell them that it's okay to be themselves and to find part of themselves and then to also become more and to be a better person or to be a a, a more physically fit person or a, a more mentally strong person. So, so finding the best of yourself and be an accepting and it's okay to be a little bit different and to be a little bit outside of the mainstream so being yourself and being different and that's really the the call so i think the name of the podcast just linking that together with british fencing's general call to the world to to accept and to be yourself and be different and um we're really wanting to to find you know, a new way to bring sport into people's lives. You know, it's not always just about the the drills and the physical fitness. There's so many other social benefits to it. And there's the benefit of going and meeting people and, and being part of a team. Um, so we've really, really wanted to explore how we find the next generation of uh, different fences as well. And how can we send this message out to the world and find the best fences around? So, one of the things that we do is we have the athlete development program and finding the young fences coming up and through the the ranks and becoming the next people who go out into the world and represent gbr part of this um you've you've been interviewing some people as well
0: yeah we've had a had a busy time a lot of interviews in this episode uh, yeah. with some some really interesting people we've got some uh, some really sharp minds working in the athlete development program and uh, and steering it steering it forward and it's Uh, relatively short life i think it's been running for about about 20 months now yeah and uh already a lot of progress in that time and some some very clear ideas on on where it's going uh in the future
1: that's right yeah i think um on in the program there's a sort of glimpse of at the future of of gbr fence Mm -hmm. there's about 180 fences currently engaged in the program across the three weapons and Aged um, 15 to 23 right now, so really quite a broad range when you think about ability and and future potential there. Um, We're trying to sort of work out, you know, how we can use this program to uh, discover what elements of tactical thought, but also what other skills do we need in order to succeed in, in fencing. It's not just about an initial result. And I think that's going to be useful for people who are even outside of fencing. Like, what does it take to have longevity in a career? What do you need to do? Should you specialise young? Should you start early? Or should you try other things and and bring all of these skills together as a person? I spoke to um, Steve Kemp. He's one of my colleagues at British Fencing. And he was talking to me about the philosophy of the program and I asked him how do we even identify I mean how do we know and how do we find these these young people do we see their talent emerging early and, and here's what he said
2: we don't necessarily know when any fence or athlete in any sport will nat- naturally present themselves as that breakthrough event and when they really really show they, that talent is is being recognized and realized um, so a lot of this was about actually let's see how you develop as a person how that helps you develop in your sport and then hopefully the opportunity at some point in your journey that you will present at competition that you know, the quality athlete that you may become um it's not a it's not a linear journey there's there's not an a to b to c it is a very as as we all know it's a very undulating journey and they use that non-linear word they use quite a lot so what we what we're really focus on is how we Create those opportunities for those guys to show their best when it's ready for them, and it's just not predictable that I'll
1: and that's one of the sort of myth-busting um, things that we wanted to talk about because I think there is sometimes a, this sort of idea that oh well you're going to show promise at an early age. I mean like Tiger Woods you know he's three years old and everyone goes oh he's he's amazing so he's obviously going to be uh, a great golfer but how does that it doesn't work like that with fencing it sort of seems to be that they could present later on in life or maybe just need to be given opportunities is that is that right?
2: I think there's a lot of it ed- evidence that would say it doesn't necessarily present itself in sport i wouldn't necessarily categorize fencing as a as anything that's unique about oh, right. that so one I, in relation to sport
1: yeah cross hold sports
2: i would suggest that what we tend to see we only ever tend to see the ones that do achieve and then we look at their story and of course you go well he started young therefore it must of. Hmm. um interestingly i was picking up some chatter about harry kane where he got kicked out of the arsenal academy at eight <laughs>
3: okay
2: um because he wasn't the right size, um, and he was a late developer.
1: Oh, so he actually found success later in life. It wasn't that he was um, he was a bit naughty at eight years old then.
2: <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, he, was, he's a, he, he had, um, you know, he's obviously got some uh, high motor function that presented a little bit la- late in life. So it's always a little bit worrying when we look at the uh, people like Tiger Woods that have all you know, has achieved, and we follow their backstory. We can look at the Williams sisters that follow their backstory. But if you look a lot closer, there are, there are a number of, sports people out there that have followed a different journey so for every time we find that there is a talent that you know has been spotted at a young age there are probably equally as many talented people if we really look that actually didn't present until later life but we Run the risk of actually not looking for them because we get focused on this concept that early specialisation is the way forward.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tell us a bit more about early specialisation because you're saying so. You shouldn't really just pursue fencing. You should try different things and discover different things.
2: I think the the first bit is that the it's not necessarily a, a wrong or a right because if you look at Tiger Woods, obviously he specialised early right. and he it, and he's had great success. Um, we could also argue that he had a slightly different technique and mm. that technique has now actually caused quite a lot of stresses in his life uh, later on. Um, So you could argue that some of the techni- technical arguments. Um And it and it's a model that works. So if you know what you're trying to produce and you have a very clear vision of what you need as a, a, an entry point, Element of a, a physical size or shape, etc., etc. If you take rowing, they know. Yes, it's a, a late specialization sport, but they know that if you've got a certain size and a certain length of arm and certain levers, they can add the bits to you that can give you international success. Mm. Um, from that point of perspective, so it's a, it's not a model that you. I would necessarily go. It doesn't work. It's a model that works for certain people at certain conditions, mm. and they're more of the what I call the one percent. Right. right. Um, the rest of us are ninety nine percent where we we find that actually the evidence is suggesting that playing multiple sports as a young person and then starting to identify the sport that you really, really love around that sort of 13 to 15 age window where you really, really start to invest in it. And I think a lot of this for me is where they're developing that physical literacy by playing lots and lots of different sports. Right, exactly. They're learning time distance, how to cooperate with people, how not to cooperate with people, <laughs> how to deceive and beat people. A lot of those sort of fundamental building blocks are developed by playing multiple games.
0: Always interesting thoughts from Steve. Uh, as I said, he is, he's one of the, the deep thinkers in a sport about how we progress and what we can do to develop our, our athletes and coaches and, uh, and the sport as a whole. And uh, always good to hear his thoughts. Absolutely. The interview that I did with the the administrative side of the of the athlete development program was with British Fencing's project officer uh, Rob Caudron. As always, he was uh, charming and eloquent, and here's uh-huh. what he had to say. What are the aims of the athlete development program?
4: So, quite simply, our our aim is that we want to be better preparing our athletes for high performance through giving them quality experiences and giving them quality training as fencers and also in wider context as people
0: okay sounds great so so what does the atp offer that that they can get from their clubs
4: so the main thing that we offer and this is based on having spoken to fencers before we really got started was uh quality sparring so bringing the best fencers that we can together so that they can challenge each other and improve within that we also encourage it as a space to make mistakes and try stuff. So if you are fencing opponents who you would normally be fencing at a national championships or of a higher standard than you could normally get in your club, this is a place where it's okay to try stuff and fail and learn from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. important. An important uh, message for for anyone looking to improve is you've got to get it wrong to get it right.
4: As well as that, we also keep half an eye. We want to also look at what what happens for the coaches because it's a place for our coaches to come together share ideas work collaboratively because coaching can be quite a lonely lonely profession and you don't often get a chance to work alongside other other like-minded people in such a close and um harmonious way yeah and then just generally and then also what we're trying to do more now is ask the fencers what they want to see more of right. so what what sort of slant that they want to start to see on their training that maybe we haven't thought of or that they feel like they need
0: okay sounds great so so what does a an athlete development program camp look like so you know what are the, the fencers and coaches involved and what are the different sessions and and you know is there a different goal for each camp
4: generally we look at ages 15 to 23 although we have also been looking to bring in older senior fencers, partly to make it more challenging for the sort of top end of juniors and under 23s but also because it really helps with those guys transitioning up into the senior space so that they get used to having to fence high level sort of high level senior fences yeah that, di- um, that
0: difficult step from juniors into seniors it's uh, it's, a, it's a fraught path for for the young fencer making that making that jump
4: absolutely i think it's one of the biggest challenges and then each camp is quite is is different so they're broadly geared around the sort of cadet and junior calendar so if we take April as our starting point, that's our induction for new fences into the into the program. That's their opportunity to come in, get a look at what goes on, but also for the coaches to get a look at them. And we can just start to get give people an idea of this is the way that we like to do things. Then in July, we would have our preseason prep. So that's looking at what are you going to do over the sort of uh, the start of July? What are you going to do over the summer holidays that's going to get you ready for the start of the season? In September, then we have the start of September, what we'd call sort of the nationals run out. So that's your chance just before cadet and junior national championships. Everyone's to come together, have a bit of a fight, see where, it, see where you're all at. Mm-hmm. Having just finished preseason in October is the kickoff for the international circuit, the cadet, you know, the EFC uh, cadet circuit and the junior world cup season. So it's a chance to, again, let's get everyone together. Let's get our internationals together. And make sure everyone's ready to go abroad and do their thing. We've then got mid season in December. So that's now looking back at how's your autumn gone? Mm. Um, are you where you want to be? If you are, let's kick on to the second half of the season. If you're not where you want to be, okay, let's look at reassessing and re and working out what you can, what you want to do from here. And so this is where we maybe would start to look at we, this is where we'd have one eye on the Europeans and the worlds, particularly for the the things that the teams what's going to be likely the teams mm. so i think we'd probably have an idea of you know maybe six to eight fences who are likely to be in the frame by that point yeah so let's get them fighting together and get them ready and with their focus directly on the major championships and then finally we'd have our championship preparation in february february and march time
0: okay so since a uh, uh, a very thorough thorough program with you know, different, different forces at different times of the year. Um, so how, how do you see the ADP developing over, you know, in the future and, and how's it changed since the, since the program started?
4: How it's changed? Well, I think the bigger uh, one of the biggest changes we've had has been the number and quality of coaches that have sort of swelled the ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're now bringing together, you know, good teams of coaches in each weapon led by, Chris Gallischlut, uh, John Salfield and John Reese. And that's really cool. They're taking the weapons off in the directions that they think they want to go in. And that's something that we didn't have in place sort of 14, 15 months ago. So mm. that's, that's really cool. Looking at where we want to go, uh, short term, I think the big thing and you talked about it a minute ago is that step from junior to senior and how, what can we do to make that to just to make that that transition not necessarily easier exact because it's it's still hard. Yeah, it's it's never, it, never
0: going to be an easy step. But yeah, you can yeah. you can do a lot to prepare the athletes better for that that jump.
4: And so I think one of the the things there is about how do we is speaking more with the, our under twenty three fencers, seeing what they feel like they need and what we can do to help them. We've mm-hmm. had quite an emphasis on cadet and juniors in the last. 18 months and that's been great but it'd be nice to start to see some of the it'd be nice to try and get some of the under 23s input more and then the other thing is about looking at beyond the camps so the, the stuff that goes on in the camps we think is really good mm-hmm. and we think it offers a lot of value and the fences a lot of fences certainly suggest that it does but it's about how we can get the stuff that we're doing in the camps get it out into the community yeah so that we can you know, that we know that the people want to know what's going on and we know that there's re, there is interest from coaches, from fencers, from parents about what's being done on the campus. It's how do we get that out into the community so it can be used by everyone? Mm. So
0: what, what are your thoughts on how, how that was, how that will happen?
4: It's a good question. Um, I think, I think there's, there's looking at what is looking at where our really strong clubs are in the country and, and speaking with them and what they, you know, what they think and what they feel like they would need. We're looking to put together something around sort of shared languages for the weapons. Cause I think across all three weapons, we talk about, we don't necessarily speak exactly the same language when we're talking to each other. Yeah, it's true. Um, and trying to get some kind of a, even if we're only able to do it at camps, getting some idea of all saying broadly speaking the the same language saying the same words just so that we've got some kind of coherent direction for where each of the weapons is going i think we can do more in terms of publicly available resources whether that's strength and conditioning whether that's sports psychology i think the rfu have got some really cool stuff on their website around like strength and conditioning programs that you can go and basically download off of their website mm-hmm. and they're different for different phases of the year and for different things that you want to train and i think if we could get something like that set up that would be really cool yeah and then i think there's a look at you know what does uh, looking at our competitions and saying right how do we make the competition experience more meaningful and how do we make that the best it can be mm-hmm. but that's a bit more of a medium to long term view because i don't think we've quite Settled on what that idea of meaningful really looks like.
0: Okay. So lots of good stuff and good, good progress so far and, and lots more exciting stuff still to come. Rob, thanks very much indeed for uh, taking the time to talk to me today. And uh, I look forward to seeing more great stuff coming from the athlete development program. Nice one. Thanks very much, Sean. Cheers. And I think it was interesting to, uh, to hear Rob's thoughts on, on where he saw the athlete development program going over the coming years and you did an interview with uh, with one of the athletes who's been involved in the program alice campbell
1: that's right
0: she, she had a few a few interesting thoughts as well on what she would like to see the uh, the program offering in the future
1: yeah i asked alice um very much about her experience of it and the camps and and also yeah what she would like to see and, and here's what she said
5: so far i think the grant the camps are great in general like that all the exercises that they do the warm-ups the footwork the scenario fencing the actual fighting is good i'd like to maybe see like in the future maybe some kind of like sports psychologist or a nutritionist maybe come in to speak to us a little bit more because mm. i feel like that side of fencing is just as important as the actual physical side of fencing so yeah i think that would sure. be good in the future
1: maybe so that's as well part of the the camps i mean it's also not just about the fencing but other career paths people can take out of the camps I'm learning a lot about that from Stuart and the team as well as and discussing different avenues of employment coaching and things like that so have you had any experience of like learning leadership or teamwork and things around that that's not maybe particularly the physical fencing but something else that is adding to your your life as an athlete as a as a career
5: yeah also one of the activities we've done in the program was we had the opportunity to Coach one of the fences, so we put on an actual coaching jacket. Oh, really?
3: And, how did it go? Uh,
5: it was quite fun. It was good, <laughs> and it also gave us like tips because, especially where I wouldn't really know how to coach somebody. Like I know the basics, but I wouldn't know what to say to people or how to make what to do to make the move in a certain way. Yeah. But by doing that, you understood it from your coach's perspective. Yeah. So that could help you in the future
1: so you had a sort of new appreciation for what it's like to be a coach yeah even though you're not coaching yet do you think that's something that you'd want to do in the future are you interested in it at all or would you prefer to just fence well for the moment I'd prefer
5: to fence but maybe in the future I wouldn't rule out being a coach
1: do you think when you were pretending to be a coach if you like do you think that it helped you to understand your fencing more
5: yeah definitely because I understand why like certain like my coach for example why he'd move in a certain way or why he'd say oh no do this bit again or oh no this needs to be like this and I understood it from a coaching perspective as in your, your, how your opponent would see it on you
1: yeah I see it getting on them so one of the um, things I've learned about the the program as well is you, there's this athlete profile that is it it's sort of paperwork around your yeah. personal journey and your planning your future competitions how is that helping you how does the athlete profile is it a way of sort of giving feedback of I need this I need that how, how does that all work
5: so there's kind of like for me there's two parts to it so the part where we write down our goals and stuff like that that's really helpful because we do know our goals but it just reinforces them especially in a training aspect because our goals are normally like very competition based like I want to become a good senior fencer or I want to be the best fencer in the world yeah (laughs) yeah but to do that you do have to meet goals beforehand Mm -hmm. so reinforcing them before we actually do the training helps us to really focus the training in yeah and also the competition aspect where we write down all the competitions we've got over the year that helps us to prepare ourselves so when people are juggling like jobs as well as uni and fencing it's really helpful so we can see what competitions we have when when we need to be ready for Mm. and we can tailor our training like appropriately
1: and you mentioned as well that like balancing jobs and university and fencing and that's often so you know i think a lot of people apparently sort of drop out of fencing when they have to commit to university or work commitments And things. how are you finding that have you got any tips for anyone or have you had any issues or anything that you struggled with around that so i have
5: previously before found struggling like struggled with workload and fencing at the same time but if you get as soon as you get your work you do it and also if you speak to your schools or your university so such as my university I know they can do extensions on deadlines Mm. if you're competing abroad and things like that Mm -hmm. so the establishments you go to will support you, but you have to go and get the support. They won't just bring it to you.
1: Absolutely. So it's almost like you have to start taking responsibility yeah. for for your program yeah. and everything. Do you find it stressful? Are you are, are you managing that, or is there times when you're like, I've had enough. I can't do this. <laughs> At times, it is very stressful, especially
5: when it comes to like the exam period. So you have to like you're training differently compared to your revision and
1: so as well as like hard. normal university life yeah. you've also got fencing going on at yeah. the same time yeah that must be a lot
5: But in the long run it's all worth it do you so. think that the
1: the, ta- the profile that you're building and through the development camp that that's sort of helping keep you organized a yeah, little bit definitely. Yeah, yeah it's
5: helping me organize my time more
1: yeah I'm yeah. being
5: more independent
1: <laughs> and Alice mentions as well the balance that these young athletes are having to find In their lives, um, balancing their work at university or at school, they're going through exam stages. Um, It's really interesting to hear her positive attitude to that. And they're really learning how to go out and find these opportunities themselves. So they're not waiting for someone to bring that to them. And I think that's a great sign of growth and progress in um, the sort of attitude towards their, you know, they're taking responsibility of their personal progression, which was great to hear. Another athlete who's balancing her university work and her fencing training is um, Danielle Lawson. You spoke to Danielle, Sean. Tell us about that one.
0: Yeah, uh, late night interview. Um, good enough to to speak to me over the phone. <laughs> Late into the evening, um, I think after, after training in her case. And, um, yeah, she, she also talked about the, the challenge that, the athletes fence. I mean, the, the age group that the ADP is targeted at in the sort of 15 to 23 age mm. group is a time when there's a whole lot going on in their lives, uh, without, without being involved in high level fencing. So whether it's, uh, school exams, university, early steps in your, your working career, it's a lot to cope with. At the best of times, and and trying to fit that in around a, a busy fencing schedule is is hard work. But Danny had some interesting things to say about um, how she balances the two. Danny, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much indeed for for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: That's an absolute pleasure. So I'm going to dive straight into some questions that I've uh, I've conjured up for you to 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 get a feel for the athlete's perspective of the athletes. Uh, the Athlete Development Um, Programme. So I I wanted to know what you've found particularly useful or interesting about the Athlete Development Programme.
3: Well, currently we're testing something a bit new and we're practising more team fencing. Mm. So um, this isn't something that I've particularly done in like talent camps or anything previously. And they're really pushing for um, training as part of the team, which I'm really enjoying um, as... I've been pushed into doing senior team competitions already and Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely loving it. So it's a great opportunity for us to train with the team and um, train against the younger juniors and cadets and even against the boys. Um, So great opportunity we're having at the moment to um, train as teams. Also, there's access to a variety of coaches, which Mm. you wouldn't necessarily get at an individual club. So there's um, about five coaches there uh, on rotation. So it's really nice to get um, different coaches' perspectives from yeah. a training camp. So I'm really enjoying having that aspect of the training at the moment.
0: Great. I, I mean, your own coach, uh, John Reese's of course, is the uh, lead EPI coach in the Athlete Development Programme. So a familiar face as well. as some Some new ideas, perhaps?
3: Being able to... Have my coach there and then take all the ideas back to training has made it really easy for me to like get into the training camps well, but I feel that other athletes um are really benefiting from having a variety of coaches both male and female there yes
0: yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a good setup so kind of following on from that so how how did edp camps fit in with um with your regular training and fit around your your season schedule
3: um they've been organized quite well currently, so we've had um One at the Christmas, um, yeah, the Christmas holiday and one at Easter that's coming up. So I've been able to fit it in around my university and the one in Manchester the other weekend didn't clash with anything. But I know them, the athletes that have been at the junior and cadet European championships won't be able to go to these trainings, but I feel for other athletes, the, They've managed them quite well, I know there's so many competitions going on that it's yeah, hard it's to fit around to everyone. find a gap anywhere, yeah, yeah, but um no, I think they've done pretty well, and um, they've mixed them around, they've not all been in one location, so they've been in um Manchester, Nottingham, and London, so yeah, they've definitely done it really well and I've been able to go to all of them so I'm really enjoying getting that extra training in that I wouldn't get whilst at university.
0: Yeah indeed so has there been anything that you've found surprising about the EDP camps because presumably you've been involved in the athletic development program set up since its inception is there anything different about them from from what you were expecting?
3: They're trying to impart some more knowledge into the athletes. So it's not just fencing. Um, we've had a variety of people come to talk to us about various different things. So um, I found really useful um, that Mary Cohen has come in to talk to us about dual careers and for having that athlete life as well as your academic life. Um, which I'm currently living with yeah. the university and fencing. So I found that really useful. And we've also had Lorraine Rose talk to us about anti doping. So we've had um, involvement in other areas of career other than just being fencing.
0: So yeah.
3: really enjoying it. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Danny, thanks very much for, for this high speed interview uh, <laughs> late in the evening. Glad you're enjoying the, the ADP camps. I hope they continue to provide you with um, something more to, to further your career now as you, you head out into the big bad world of senior fencing.
3: Thank you. <laughs> yes, they're really good. And I really recommend that um, as many athletes go that are invited because that's the only way that they can improve is to get more under-23s and more juniors going so there's a higher level of
1: sparring and attendance.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much for doing doing the promotional advertising as well.
1: Thank you it 's great to hear from danny there she 's the athlete rep for the program, and she 's very able to sort of tell us what the athletes are experiencing and and what they 're going through in these camps. Is it a, a big um demand on time and commitment um, which I think that you 'll find with across across the board when you do want to start to learn more about any subjects so they they rotate the the camps that they run around the UK they run them in Manchester and London and Nottingham they give the fencers these opportunities for sparring and access to all this extra support and strength and conditioning so it's it's great to hear Danny's view on it and she mentioned coaches there as well
0: yeah absolutely i mean it, any any fencing program is to to a large degree going to be driven by the coaches that are involved yes uh, and and we've got some some great coaches uh, as the the weapon leads uh, in the athlete development programme with uh, Chris Galschloop uh, looking after the foil, right. uh, John Reese, the Epiists, and uh, and John Salfield in charge of the the Sabre Squad. And and you had a bit of a chat with him uh, early in the morning before a, a World Cup that he was at.
1: That's right, I did. It was an early an early interview. I spoke to John Salfield. He he was great. He he was sharing with a, li- a little bit more about the the tactical elements but also his views on the program and the development, the regional development center he has in um, Truro. So this is what he had to say to us very early in the morning. John Salfield, you're um, head of SABRE with the Athlete Development Camps and the program. And tell me a little bit about that role. Tell us um, how it is to be a coach in the the program.
6: Yeah, it's quite a a multifaceted role, to be honest. Um, And it ranges from um, organizing the programs for camps and delivering coaching at some of the camps coaching at junior world cups um, and sort of direct coaching role but also um, a lot more theoretical stuff and things we're trying to put in place to help development of coaching and athletes for the long term not just immediate short-term performance of existing youngsters on the program Mm. so one of the things that i'm doing is trying to trying to put together um, what i'm calling the gb saber style so a sort of really definitions of how athletes should be looking to fence tactically and what kind of things we're looking for in athletes coming onto the program. Mm -hmm. So it's partly a guide for fencers and partly a guide for for coaches, really. Um, I think one of the issues we have at the performance level in fencing is that we're very good at what we do, but sometimes we're not quite so good at analyzing and problem solving. Mm -hmm. So working out why we haven't won a fight or why we haven't scored a hit um, why you know from a simple perspective? Why did the fence fall short in the middle of the piece? Mm. So this is really the kind of why things happen and how to make things that you want to happen on the piece. So that's that's another aspect of the job that's really interesting.
2: Yeah.
6: Um, and of course the sort of day to day stuff with you know championships and junior world cups and those kind of things.
1: And you mentioned the camps there. How do you use the camps um, as part of the program to develop um, prepare fences? What happens
6: on those? Well, really, we started using exactly what I was just talking about, which is is trying to get athletes to understand the slightly more subtle uh, tactical side of the sabre fencing game. So, you know, we have a lot of good athletes. We've got fencers with decent technique, fencers that can move well, fencers that can, you know, hit their opponents. But when they're fencing really high-level opposition, you know, really understanding how to set something up and how to create a reaction or provoke a reaction from the opponent or how to to prepare yourself so you can watch what they're doing and react accordingly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the content of the camps that I've been organising has been built around that tactical side and doing tactical workshops and and of course on the campus there's a range of athletes you know we have fences yeah. coming in as young cadets through to high performance students who are winning medals at world level so it really is a whole range of, of athletes from the young cadets upwards mm. so actually we we don't just work in one big group we we try and cater groups for you know the ability levels and the experience levels of the different fences as well
1: right and they are able then to sort of learn from each other's examples and perhaps um, see what the older athletes are doing and things like that do they do they interact <laughs> like that
6: yeah, that's right. We have we have sort of a uh, breakdown of groups for the technical side. So we might have a group of athletes that need to improve, for, you know, for example, footwork technique in order to be able to do a particular preparation with their feet. Mm. Or we might have a group of athletes that are technically good enough to do that so they can go on to using those different types of footwork preparation. Mm. And then athletes who are at the very high end of the group who will be looking at using those preparations in a tactical con- in a context. But then, in terms of overlap between the groups, when we're doing general sparring, when we're doing more fight-based games and those kind of things, there's a there's a, a big overlap between all those groups. So, in terms of direct coach delivery, we try and break it down into um, groups of experience and ability. And then, when it comes to the, the more interactive stuff, then the younger athletes can interact with the older and more experienced fencers and hopefully learn from them.
1: Absolutely. You're also at, at Truro. Truro has a regional um, development centre, is that, that right? Can you tell us a bit more about that? What's it like to, to lead that?
6: Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's very interesting because I'm, I'm obviously the lead coach on the development programme. I'm also the head coach at Truro Fencing Club right. and I'm also working with the GB senior team at senior World Cups and delivering training for the, the senior squads as well. So I'm kind of working across really from club level through to senior World Cup level, which right. You know, it's quite a challenge, not just <laughs> see, in time you management. You see all of the terms, ranges. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So not just in terms of time management, but in terms of, you know, making sure that I'm doing the right things at the right time with yeah. the right people. Yeah. But yeah, the True Fencing Club, obviously, as many of the listeners, listeners will know, has got a long history of producing good sabre fences, um, going back some 15 years or so. Uh, and I took over as head coach there in 2007.
0: Right.
6: And we put in place uh, our high-performance program, which has produced a lot of good young athletes. Many of the fencers are in the the senior squad and senior team now and and junior World Cup team and squad as well are are from that that high performance center. Mm -hmm. And recently that's become, if you like, linked into the development program as a regional development center. So we're doing at the moment a pilot of doing physio screening and strength conditioning screenings and delivery in order to try and track the incidence of injury, particularly around hamstring and ankle areas, which are the the primary injuries that we tend to find in sabreurs. Right. So we're looking at can we actually reduce the amount and the uh, frequency of injuries in young saber fencers by delivering physio screenings to prehab as we call it, so identify mm-hmm. possible injury risk and then and then strengthen up those areas by uh, by delivering a good F&C program to those fencers. Ah, so that that's that's one of the relationships we've got with the development program through True fencing club.
1: That's great. And injury prevention is definitely even outside of fencing and throughout the sports world and even into performing arts world. It's that the research that comes in to help people to, to avoid injury is probably really going to be beneficial for a lot of people. As an amateur sabreur, John, have you got any advice yeah. for me? And um, can I have a lesson one day maybe?
6: <laughs> we can definitely do a lesson, no problem at all. <laughs> yeah, my, my advice to every sabreur is land all your attacks and don't counterattack too much. That's, that's number one. <laughs> attack, attack and Yeah, and number two would be take your time. It's very easy in Sabre to think it's, you know, as some of my old friends who will be listening will know, wiggle, 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 slash, 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 <laughs> is the kind of, you know, Sabre caricature. But actually the very best Sabre fencers will take their time, not only in between hits, but during during the preparation of their hit. So take your time, don't counterattack too much, land all your attacks, and then you win.
1: That's great, thanks so much, John. That's um, good advice. I'm going to think about that in a metaphor for life as well. Take your time and, and try and attack sometimes. And land on your attacks.
0: <laughs> <on your> <laughs> Always interesting to uh, to hear from from John. Sending a little husky there early in the morning, <laughs> um, but I thought it was really interesting to hear what he had to say about developing a a national style for for British saber. We in the past have been. Um, a sort of mongrel collection of, of fencers to some degree, mm. uh, whereas a lot of other nations have a have an identifiable style, which mm. makes it much easier for them to develop their their fencers across the country, uh, because it's a kind of universal understanding of of what they're heading towards. And uh, I'll be really interested to see that. That developing over the over the coming years to to have an identifiably successful British style appearing on in the international stage
1: absolutely and he was very it was, it was great to hear it from him because he's developed I so say he's developing this style but then he's also able to to share how they are all fencing at different age groups and how that changes and that attitude changes it takes me back to when I was talking to Steve Kemp and he was describing you know of course we don't know what the talent is that's going to present itself. It, it might present itself later on. So to, to have an eye out across the generations for this new wave of success is, is really a great thing to hear. And I think when we're looking at this generation of fencers who, okay, they're, they're learning, they're growing through the ranks, but then where does it go? Is it all about getting to that medal podium? Or when we look back, have we actually created better people? Have they got career opportunities? Do they know more about themselves? Have they become more aware in a tactical level, just not just for their fencing, but as a person? And it's just great to hear that this program is looking at that wider part. And it goes right back to what we were saying, be you, be different, make better people, not just better fences. And hopefully that does lead all the way to success. And after our interview, Steve was telling me, you know, it's not that we don't want to win. This is about winning. We do want to win, but we want to win in a way that's actually created a new generation and a new wave, of cultural shift of um, an educated way of uh, creating new fences. And uh, Steve was great. And he, he finished off with a little word about success and, and and what does that mean to different people?
2: And if we can create people that love what they do then some of them they, they will find their measures of winning they will find their measures of success for some of them they will be like richard that will achieve that world number one status um, for some of them actually do you know what sometimes i call it the earning your beer you've gone and had a great time and you go <laughs> and sit down and you have a drink and you reflect on it you know you've worked hard and you've enjoyed yourself well isn't that success as well
0: this episode of be you be different is brought to you by pulse roll they produce vibrating foam rollers and products that help athletes strengthen, prepare and recover faster, which is really important if you're training and have to fight the next day with sore muscles. Take a look at their website, Pulseroll.com. You can use the discount code BF20 to save at their website. Thanks Pulseroll. On God!